Well, as I came here this evening, I was uh, surprised by joy at seeing all your faces. Feel like a kid in a candy shop, uh, but unfortunately, the candy's still behind the glass, and I can't quite grab you and hug you uh, because of those social distancing restrictions. But it is so good to see one another. Amen. Happy day. But imagine the joy when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Not just to see each other. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Well, it's a foretaste of glory, a foretaste of heaven, to be together and to sing the praises of our Savior and to come to hear his word and to rejoice in that word. And we know that we need this. This country desperately needs to hear and to obey, to come to bow before the God of this word and to follow the word of this God. And so let's pray that God would help us as we come to the scriptures this evening that we might profit from what we hear. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you glad to be together. Our hearts do leap for joy within us when we see the faces, the countenance of our brethren. We know that as iron sharpens iron, so a man is sharpened by the countenance, by the words, by the face, by the look, by the presence, by the fellowship of his brethren in the Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for this opportunity to be together. We thank you that things have progressed here in New Jersey, that the number of cases has, uh, the increase in the number of cases has slowed, and that we are able to gather with the permission of those in authority. We thank you, Father, for that anticipation that we have, that eager expectation, that certain hope that we shall be with that multitude that no man can number in the new heavens and the new earth, and that we will see your face and be with you and praise you forevermore. We ask that you would use your word this evening to even gather in a greater number that would hear your word, that would receive that word, believe that word, and come to this Savior, be changed by renovating grace. We ask through Jesus our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to turn us again to Colossians. I'm just going to read one verse there and then one verse in Ephesians. Our focus will be again on the direction to fathers, that is to parents. Uh, by the way, moms, don't feel left out because... Uh, you know that when it speaks to fathers, it's because the buck stops with them, but the mother is second in command, and as the uh, delegated authority of the father would come to her in his absence, well, uh, it's speaking to you as well. So he, Colossians chapter 3, and I'll just read verse 21, and then we'll turn to the parallel passage in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians uh, Colossians 3.21 Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. And then turning back a few pages, Ephesians 6.4 
Ephesians 6, 4, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but... Alright, so in Colossians we had do not. Here in Ephesians we have do not. But then there's a positive, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And our focus this evening is going to be on the positive aspect. Now, in Colossians it just said, do not provoke your ch- or exasperate your children, provoke your children that they may not lose heart. Here in Ephesians it starts, do not provoke them to anger. Why in Colossians is there no positive? Well, as uh, one of my teachers here in the academy said to us, I can answer any question. And some of them I just answer, I don't know. And there it is. We really don't know why in Colossians there's no positive aspect. Some commentators venture uh, to give a suggestion, but, you know, that's just uh, men's suggestions, and that's not what I'm going to preach. But I thought it was worth us looking into the book of Ephesians and picking up this positive aspect of parental duty, uh, because just to give the negative is, uh, for our needs, rather... Well, just one-sided. And and though the Colossians, that's what they needed uh, for us, I believe it's worth going into a couple few sermons on the positive aspect. Now, uh, you, you may think, aren't we spending a lot of time on the family? Well, yes, but your elders also deemed that this was worth doing. And I looked back, it has been a few years, and some of us living can remember it, when Pastor Martin dealt with this topic, 40 messages, I looked it up, how not to foul up the training of your children, 40 messages. And it was a few years before that, I believe, if I have the chronology correct, that Pastor Nichols had 26 sermons on molding your child's character. Well, 26 sermon series, 40 sermon series, but that's been, what, 30 years at least. And so it's probably not out of uh, the realm of reason to go into a few sermons at this time when it comes up providentially in our study in the book of Colossians to consider the duty of Christian parents. And so, taking up then the positive duty of fathers or parents, what they must do, we saw last two sermons, what they must not do, now what they must do, we're going to look, first of all, at uh, the text, this key text, Ephesians 6, 4, and then I want us to look, uh, to, to boil that down into really what are the three basic parts of child training? What are the three activities that you must engage in if you're to obey Ephesians 6, 4? And then, uh, we're going to deal with the first, or we're going to start the first of those three, okay? So, let's look at the text and analyze the language of this positive aspect. Alright, fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And there are a few key words here in this passage. The first is, bring them up. 
All right? Bring up your children. That is an active word that describes what you must do. It's not just something that you sit back and watch happen. Bring them up. Now the word is the same word that we found in Ephe- or that we find in Ephesians 5:29 that we also looked at when we dealt with the responsibility of husbands to their wives. Ephesians 5.29, it says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, there's the word, and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. And so, the husband, or rather the father, is to nourish his children. That's the word bring up in my translation, nourish. Now, the, the word means of course, to feed. You nourish your children. You want to make sure that they get enough vitamins and minerals and calories from a balanced diet of the basic food groups. And I'm not a nutritionist, but you you know, you get to have your protein and you've got to have your carbs and you've got to have your vegetables and all of those things to make a balanced diet. Uh, as well as a little chocolate, and uh, then then they'll grow and thrive physically. Well, that's what the word means, but it has come to take on a broader uh, meaning, especially in such a a connotation or context. It means to feed, but it means not just to feed the body, but to care for the whole person, body, mind, and soul. It means to develop them by care and pains, deliberate effort to see them grow in, well, as we read of the Lord Jesus that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We want to see our children not only grow physically and be healthy physically, we want to see them be healthy mentally and grow mentally. We want to see them be healthy uh, socially so that they interact well with others. We want to see them grow spiritually so that they come to know the true and living God. Ultimately, that is our great concern. So parents, you are to care for your children in this very broad way, considering all of these aspects. Now remember the word nourish, we considered as an illustration of what this word means, how that word was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to describe what, uh, in Nathan's parable to David, to describe that man, the poor man who had one ewe lamb, that he cared for like his own children. He took it into his home, he nursed it, you would almost think he had it sleep in his own bed. Uh, There was tender loving care as he cared for that one ewe lamb. Well, David or Nathan says to David, it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like not just a son, but a daughter to him. So parents, you are to nourish your children so they grow in all of these ways. Not just sit back and watch them grow up as if, you know, they're just going to spring up of their own. Think of a garden. Now, some of you are probably much better gardeners than I am. We tried to have a garden in the Philippines and watched our tomato plants keel over. Uh, Some worm or other got to them. 
But you know that if you just let your garden go, you maybe you throw the seed out there and then you say, okay, garden, grow. What's going to grow? Well, you're going to get a patch of weeds. And maybe your plants, they're going to grow up for a little bit, but they're going to get choked out. And if you don't water it, and you don't nourish it with the proper fertilizer, it's going to shrivel. Well, so it is with your children. You just let them grow. Oh, they'll grow. They'll grow like weeds. And weedy children, (laughs) it's not something you want to have in your home. You want to mold their character. You want to see them grow in the right way. It's care that must be given to see your children grow. And so it's an active participation. It's hands-on to nourish, to raise up your children in the way that this text implies. Bring them up. Raise them. Now the next word in the text, raise them up in the Discipline is my version. In the training, training would be a good broad translation of the word that is here. It is the training of the whole person again. As one author put it, excuse me, training is not telling. Training is not just teaching. It is not merely commanding, but it is something higher than all of these. It is not only telling a child what to do, but showing him how to do it. And then seeing that it is done. Taking care that the advice or the command given is put into practice and adopted as a habit. Now, this training is again a broad word. It involves both positive and negative aspects. There's positive, it involves teaching. You can't train without teaching. Uh, You want to develop good character by instruction and precept as well as example. That's in a way what elders are supposed to do. We're to preach the word, we're to teach the flock, but we're to bring you to good pasture. And, you know, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But we want to stick your nose in it. We want to see, do our best to see you eat the Word of God and profit from it. Well, you want to do the same with your children. It's not just you throw out the Word of God and sort of say, okay, well, take it or leave it. You want to see them take it. This is what is called in terms of the church, formative discipline. Teaching, bringing the Word of God to bear upon your conscience in all of its breadth, in all of its depth. As the Apostle Paul said to the elders in Ephesus there in Acts chapter 20, we did not withhold from you anything that was profitable. We taught you the whole counsel of God. And so it's that whole counsel of God that is God's Uh, instrument to cause his people to grow, we must teach our children. But that's the positive aspect of this word paideia or training. There's also a negative aspect to it. That's corrective discipline. The training of children involves chastening, chastising, punishing, corrective discipline. In fact, this same word, paideia, is used in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. I won't read the whole passage, but if you want to turn there to Hebrews chapter 12, 
This is how this same word training or discipline is used. He says in Hebrews 12:5, "My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord." Quoting from the Proverbs, the discipline, there's the word, the paideia. Nor faint when you are reproved by him, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he trains. And he, how does he train them? He scourges every son whom he receives. And so our Father in heaven trains us. Oh yes, he teaches us. But he corrects us by scourging, by smiting, by discipline in love. Not cruelty, not abuse. In love that we might learn and walk in paths of obedience. Verse 10, our fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And so, this is part of that discipline. There's teaching, but there is also corrective discipline, scourging, or we would say spanking, corrective discipline, the rod of correction, so that our children learn to avoid the evil and walk in the truth. Notice one more thing, or as we look back, the next key word back in Colossians, excuse me, Ephesians 6 and verse 4, is instruction. Bring them up in the discipline or training and instruction of the Lord. Instruction. Now, uh, this word, instruction again, just sounds like teaching. That's how my version puts it. But it's the word admonition. Actually, it would be a better translation. Admonition means verbal correction. Confrontational verbal correction. It involves taking our children aside, showing them from the Bible, showing them, explaining to them what they did wrong and why they would be corrected. Now, There are times when a parent may be faced with a disobedient child and in anger flies off the handle, spanks the child, and the child's like, what did I do? What was that for? This must not be so. This word admonition instructs us that as we raise our children, not only do we teach them and train them in the first place, correct them by maybe spanking, but there must also be admonition that is verbal correction, son, that's not what I said. Son, I told you not to do that. This is the wrong way. We have to explain to them where they go wrong. That's verbal correction. It is not just physical discipline, it is verbal discipline. Now, one more thing before we move on. I said there are three key words, but really the whole three words are brought, wrapped up in this final phrase, this final prepositional phrase in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. It, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is all that which is contained in the word of Christ. It is that which he has directed. It is not 
uh, from the source of carnal anger. It's not from the source of what our parents did, although hopefully that was a good example, but in many cases not. It is not certainly from Dr. Spock, who was the guru of a previous generation. It is not the experts that you read online, not pop psychology, not the latest book recommended by Oprah Winfrey. It's not what you get from the world. Raise them in the admonition, the training, the teaching of the Lord. It is the Word of God that directs us. Brethren, we need to get hold of this. We live in an atmosphere where people are saying, oh, you, you must not spank a child. That will teach them violence. Oh, if you do that, you're going to harm your child. Oh, we, not, we give them a time out. We do all these other things. But it's this spanking that has caused the problem in America. Now listen to me. What's happened since people jettisoned the Word of God? Has the situation gotten any better? Since when do you read of school shootings? Since when do you read of teachers who want to quit because the kids won't listen? Not in my day. When the Bible has been jettisoned, has been when all of these problems got worse. Not that there were no problems then. Don't don't get me wrong, the good old days were not perfect by any means. But, like my grandmother used to say, the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. What's the proof of this pop psychology, of this don't spank kind of uh, uh, practice in child raising? It's chaos it's the mess we's in brethren modern child development theory is not going to direct you on how to raise your children I know that I'm going to get some negative comments about this sermon from people who are anti-spanking advocates. I'm not advocating child abuse. I'm not advocating violence toward children. It's a mild difference. A hundred thousand mile difference. Child abuse and loving parental discipline. Your kids know Your kids know. Ask a child. You ever spanked? Sure. What do you think about it? I deserved it. (laughs) They know. Loving child discipline is miles, is, is a universe apart from child abuse. And again, this is why we see the mess this country is in. Forgive me coming back from across the seas, living abroad for 35 years, getting plunged into America in the, what, 20 teens. It's a mess. Violence from authorities, violence from the people, hatred and animosity. Where does it start? Well, it starts in a sinful heart. 
But that sinful heart needs to be dealt with lovingly. It needs to be trained. It needs to be corrected. Where do kids learn not to treat others with disrespect? They learn it from their mothers and fathers. I grew up in the South. We were not allowed to use racial slurs in our home. It was common around me. But it was not allowed. Where did we learn that? At home. Parents, you have a big responsibility to teach your children. America, if you're tuned in here, you reject the Bible and what do you get? You get chaos. Where do children learn to treat people with kindness and respect no matter their color? To respect authority, to be patient, to be considerate, to be humble. They should learn it at home. In homes that are governed by the Word of God. But since America has rejected this book, this God, things are going to go from bad to worse. And brethren, I know I'm preaching to the choir. But don't let that stuff from the world poison your minds when it comes to raising your children. American parents, you need to repent of your self-love, your love of ease, letting your kids do what they want. You need to repent of rejecting the God of the Bible and the Son of God, the Savior. And bow the knee to Him. And trust in Him. His way is the way of life. The way of the world is the way of death. And so, that's what the text says. Bring up your children. Don't just let them bring themselves up. In the instruction, the training, that's positive and negative. With verbal correction. And it all comes in the context of the Lord, the Word of the Lord. Now, as we take then this text, and that's what the words mean, that's what the text says, what does that mean you do? And that leads me to my second point. What then are the three basic parts of child training? If you're going to obey Ephesians 6.4, and the, the whole Bible really, you need to do three things. And first of all, you need to teach your children. Uh, you know this you say duh <laughs> right of course but parents you know in this country people aren't doing it you need to teach your children fathers you are the main responsible one here but mothers of course under the fathers who is the children's main teacher you. Not Sunday school teacher. Not school teacher. Who is the children's first teacher? Well, basically mom. Dad's at work a lot. But it's dad too. Primarily, I mean, the, the buck stops with dad. But you know, mom, the law of kindness, 
God will be on your lips. Your kids are going to learn from you. Teach your children. And what do you teach? Well, again, it's the word of the Lord. You are to feed them, yes. You are to clothe them, yes. But you are to teach them what God's word says to them, how it impinges on their lives. Teach them the word. Now, what's the content? Well, it's his word in its breadth, its depth, the law and the gospel. You need to teach them what God's word says. What? What does the word of God principally teach? What man is to believe about God and what God requires us to do. All right, who is God? Who are you? Teach them who they are. Teach them who God is. Teach them what God requires. Teach them God's law. How to behave, how to work, how to be diligent. Now, uh, I, I preached a series on the family 30, nearly 30 years ago in the Philippines. I took some 20 sermons on this positive aspect. I don't think I'll do 20 here. I don't know, we'll see. But uh, I spent a lot of time on what are those aspects of character that parents want to see developed in their children. And that's just taking the Word of God, breaking it down, opening it up, and applying it to families. And so parents, what does the Bible say about your children? Their character. Character is more important than grades in school. Of course, good grades come from diligence. The soul of the diligent will get good grades. Well, not the best grades, but as good as they can. Duty to God. Duty to fellow men. The first table of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you do that? You take the Word of God. You read through the Proverbs and family devotions. You study how it applies to them. But you don't just stop with the law. What does the Word of God teach? It teaches the Gospel. Now, I say this to Sunday school teachers, vacation Bible school teachers, everybody who deals with children. We must avoid moralism. What's moralism? Be a good boy, be a good girl, and everything's okay. Well, you know, the problem is <laughs> they have sinful hearts. And they need a Savior. And just teaching, be good, be kind, share your toys, is not going to get them to heaven. It's not going to save them from their sins. You need to show them that they're sinners. And you need to show them the Savior. Just as we heard from the book of Leviticus earlier, that there's a Savior for sinners, there's pardon and forgiveness, there's a fountain opened in the blood of the Lamb. Earlier, the hymns that were playing piped in included that old gospel song, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are they washed? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? There's only one place we need to teach our children where you can find pardon and acceptance with God. And it's given freely. It's offered to all in the blood of the Lord Jesus 
who was shed on Calvary. We teach them the gospel. But we need to teach them the word of God in its depth. Now, of course, you know, as, as, uh, when you deal with children, you start out at uh, a young age and maybe have Bible picture stories and you uh, deal with Moses and the Red Sea and Jonah and the big fish and uh, Noah and all of the Bible stories. David, King David was the topic of our vacation Bible school last year. And so you, you go through these things. But, when you go through them, you need to develop deeper and deeper levels as they grow older. You start there, but then when they come to be teenagers, you have to deal with issues. You maybe start a study through the book of Romans when they come to their teen years. You not only go through the surface, not just the stories when they're little, yes... But you teach them the depth. That's why Paul said, we did not hold back from you anything that was profitable. The whole counsel of God, ultimately, you need to teach your children. You say, well, I don't have a degree in theology. Well, you just take your Bible. And if you know how you were saved, you can explain to them. So, Teach them the Word of God. Now, how do you do that? Well, let's, you know, I'll see how far I get today. I'm, I just perceive that I'm not going to finish all I have in my notes. So I'm trying to think how far I'm going to get. But let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God gives directions way back to the people before they come into the promised land, what they should do with their children. Because this generation, they had been in the wilderness, they had eaten the manna, they had seen some of God's wondrous works, but the generation that's going to grow up in the promised land hadn't seen all these things. They need to hear it from their parents. And so this is what God directs in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, 5, 6 and 7. Uh, let's start verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You're hearing them from my lips. You have a blessing that your children will not receive. What do you do with your children? Verse 7. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, your life is to be steeped in my words. Your life is to be lived in an atmosphere that breathes Bible truth. So you don't just have family devotions and you say, okay, I'm going to teach my children for 20 minutes a day, a half hour, 15 minutes, whatever it is, and that's it. Your whole life is a teaching of your children. You sit down, you rise up, you eat, you go to bed. You're teaching your children 
God's Word. And that means in family devotions, yes, when you open your Bible with your kids, you pray and sing and memorize Scripture. When you talk about things along the way, you see things, you go in the store, and there's a child at the checkout counter who sees a toy and asks his mom for the toy, and she says no, and he lies down on the ground and starts kicking and screaming. What's that? Golden opportunity to teach your kids. Why aren't you doing that? Why is he doing that? Well, it's not because you're better. You have a sinful heart just like that kid. You got parents who love you enough not to let you do something so shameful and so disgraceful. You have golden opportunities along the way. You go on for a walk and you see this beautiful sky. And you see the puffy clouds. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. But you see, your whole life is teaching your children the ways and the word of God. But you do it by your lifestyle and by your example as well. Children learn by example. Now, it's kind of funny to see what our daughter does with Sammy because she every now and then posts pictures of Sammy. You knew Sammy was going to get in here sometime. Uh, doing things, you know what, that she did 30 years ago. And so there was a picture of Sammy putting on his daddy's shoes and walking around in his daddy's shoes. And we have a picture of, well, I won't name her because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, Sammy's mom doing the very same thing. What is this? Take daddy's shoes and walk like daddy. And we laugh at that and we smile at that. But you know, when they do something bad that you've done, it's not so funny. No, I wish my kids never imitated my bad <laughs> character traits. But they'll pick up on those as well. Parents, you need to live before your children. Teach them, train them, bring them up. But you do it not just by word, not just by verbal teaching, but by example teaching. Son, this is how you do it. And of course, you may teach them some life skills like how to do PVC plumbing and, and how to do other stuff like that, a bit of carpentry here and there. You can teach them that sort of stuff. But above all, teach them how to control their anger. Teach them how to speak with respect. Teach them how to forgive. Teach them how to receive forgiveness. Teach them that it's more blessed to give than to receive. You've got to do this by word and example. So the first aspect of raising your children is teaching. Are you doing it? Are you taking the time to teach your children by word, by example? But then, of course, the second thing, following out of Ephesians 6.4, and I'll put this kind of jumping it ahead of what I said earlier, the second thing is going to be admonition. That is verbal confrontation when the child errs or disobeys. It assumes that they will disobey. And I think that's taken for granted. 
Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. Now, any parent here want to dispute that statement? Any child here want to dispute that statement? Or why do you do dumb things, even as adults? As we, we were born with foolish hearts. That means rebellious hearts. Hearts that are prone to evil. Foolishness. And the point is, though, that the child needs to be told what he has done wrong. You don't just spank him. You don't just fly off the handle and go after him. What did you do that for? I don't know what I do. <laughs> don't know if you've ever had that experience as a parent or perhaps as a child. But it is most frustrating for a child to be spanked for something they didn't even know what they did. Verbal correction, confrontation. And that's what God does with us, doesn't he? He said back in Hebrews chapter 12, the passage I read, that our Father in heaven disciplines every son he receives. But he tells us in the whole book, we have a whole book here to tell us, not only what to do right, but where we went wrong. That's what the Word of God is good for. All Scripture is given by inspiration. It's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for what? It's profitable for, now I'm trying to test my memory here, but it's failing, so I look it up, for teaching, right? You start out, you tell them what to do. For reproof, that's verbal reproof when they do wrong. For correction, you tell them where they went wrong, but then you tell them where to go right. For training in righteousness, so they keep on doing right. And so God gave us His Word for these purposes, to correct, verbal correction. And so, parents, do not leave this out of what you do. First thing, teaching. Second thing, admonition, verbal confrontation and correction. And sometimes you know that's enough. Sometimes you don't need to come to the third thing, which is going to be, I'm sure you know, spanking. Sometimes you don't even need to go there. The child already gets it when you come to verbal confrontation. They, they know they blew it, and they, they confess, and they're repentant right, right away. Well, it may be enough, but you can never omit that step. Verbal correction. But then the third part of parental training... If you're going to bring your children up, you need to teach them, you need to admonish them, and thirdly, sadly, you need to punish them. And this is what we read in the book of Proverbs. And by the way, uh, God never canceled the book of Proverbs. It is Proverbs. That means wise guidance. It is not uh, as, as a law or as promise, but it is wise guidance, guidelines. And here are the guidelines of Proverbs with this regard. Proverbs 13, 24. I'll read them. You can write them down. You can look them up if you're quick with your Bible. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod, 
I think you can probably finish the verse. Hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Oh, but I love my children too much to spank them. No, you don't. If you love them, you're going to set the boundaries and you're going to correct them when they go over the boundaries. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 22, verse 15, I quoted the first half of the verse. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Now obviously that's a big subject. It's much too big for just mentioning in one sermon on uh, parental responsibility. And so I'll consult with your elders if I should take a sermon on how to spank and what spanking means. That's worth the whole sermon really. And how not to do it. That's uh, part of that. But take it from here that God's word is clear. No matter what society says, no matter what pop psychology says, no matter what child, dis, child uh, development gurus tell you, this is God's Word. And lovingly, patiently, and hopefully consistently administered, it bears fruit. And you can tell the difference. Again, this uh, person I mentioned earlier that I won't name uh, spoke of one of her friends in college who was never spanked. And you could tell. It makes a difference. Children who are trained by this loving means know what not to do, know their limits, know how not to behave in a churlish, violent, hateful way. When they're old, the training, not that it's going to save them necessarily. There's no promise to that effect. But it's going to stick with them. They're going to know. I was talking to someone this past week, I think it was at the Wednesday night prayer meeting, uh, just recounted the story that when we were kids, and we would go into a store there were, where there were little glass knickknacks or anything glass that was breakable, my mom would say to us, this is a hands-behind-your-back store. And so automatically, we would go in there, we would put our hands behind our backs. Don't touch anything, don't break anything, because you break it, it's going to come out of your piggy bank. Hands go behind. You know what? To this day, if I go into one of those stores with glass knickknacks and or, or china on the shelf, I put my hands behind my back. I, it's not that I think about it. It just happens. Hands behind your back store. Well, that's a perhaps silly illustration, but that's that's the truth. It tells it tells you. Train your children, and with the blessing of God, may it keep them from the way of the world that seems right to a boy, to a girl, but the end is the way of death. 
And so, do you see there those three aspects of child training, of raising children? You've got to teach them. You've got to tell them where they went wrong. And you've got to punish them when they go wrong. Now, there's a lot in that. And I, what I would like to do, and I'm not going to get there tonight. Lord willing, uh, when, I, when we come back again, I will take up the subject of family devotions. Now, old timers here, you say, well, I've heard that before. Uh, and maybe even newcomers here would say, well, of course. But you know, you would be surprised how much that is neglected. And I would have to say, even by some members of Trinity Baptist Church. It is vital, if you're going to teach your children, you need to do it in family devotions. And so we'll start there, Lord willing, next week. But as we close this evening, and, uh, and I won't try your patience by just going on and finishing my notes. That would be, yeah, no way. Uh, but let me just say here, Fathers and mothers, okay, I'm going to include the mothers, even though it just says fathers there. The buck stops with the dads, but moms, you have delegated responsibility here. Take it to heart. Your kids, you let them grow up like weeds, you got weedy kids. Train them. Put effort into it. It's hard work. Nobody ever said that having kids is going to be easy. Okay, yeah, having them, being a father is the work of a, of a split second. But raising a family is hard work. Don't let it slide. I'm busy at work. Oh, there's so much to do. Don't let it slide. Hands-on parenting is what we need. Now, if you have, up to this point, you have to confess, I have been slack. I have been lazy. I've been too busy with my sports, with my work, with my TV. I've seen my kids, and all of a sudden they're grown up. My little boy, now he's 10. Before you know it, he's going to be in college. Don't let a day go by. Hands on parenting. Confess your sin. And just do it. Do your responsibility. But then, I know that there's some who are... Uh, tuning in or here tonight who are single and you say well I want to get married I want to have a family but I'm very sensitive to that I was single for a number of years before God graciously granted me a wife he who finds a wife finds a good thing and maybe you're still waiting and I'm sensitive to that I'm not saying you're second class but please hear me out or parents who are longing to have children and God hasn't given them to you yet a couple that we know in the Philippines, we were part of their wedding three years ago. And we just heard that they're now expecting after waiting for some time. We rejoice with them. 
They're looking forward to being parents. If you're in that place though where God has not yet given you that, don't just sit and moan and, and, and feel sorry for yourselves. You can be aunts and uncles to all the kids in this church. God's given you a big family. And He's given you opportunity to be an example and be part. Of course, secondary to their parents. To be part of that work of training and of, of modeling before them. Godly Christian character. In trial. In tribulation. Did you hear the word this morning? We have <laughs> tribulation. Show the kids in the church how a Christian responds to tribulation. Whether it's being single, whether it's being childless. Show them how to respond in a godly way. Now maybe... You weren't trained right by your parents. And maybe you're saying, but, but you know, nobody ever modeled this for me. So I don't know how to do it. And so, okay, you're going to make mistakes. I told the kids, kids, your parents aren't perfect. Right? Well, we're not. You're going to make mistakes. But don't just follow what your parents did. And don't make excuses. Well, my dad did, and my mom did. You have the Bible. Now, he may be looking down from heaven, I don't know. But my father-in-law, he's not here so I can talk about him. My father-in-law did not grow up in a Christian home. But how many times has my wife said to me, he had his Bible. He wasn't just acting based on what his parents did. He raised his family according to this book. You may have had a terrible family background. But if you have God's Word and God's Spirit, you have all you need to raise your family in a godly way. Don't make excuses. But in the last place, some of you, maybe you do have an excuse. Because you see, I take for granted that this is writing Paul writing to Christian families in Ephesus and in Colossae. And he tells them, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you see, this is the problem in our country. People are bringing up children, however willy-nilly, every other philosophy, but they're not doing it in the way of the Lord. How can you do it in the way? Maybe you see the kids here in this church, and I'm looking out, and I see kids here, and, and you know, they're not running around going crazy. They're sitting. Imagine this, y'all out there online. It's, it's been, well, 40, 50 minute sermon by my watch. And the kids are still sitting here. You say, how'd they do that? It's child training, loving parental guidance. Not holding a knife at their back saying, you move and you're dead. They're here. And you know, some of them, they can't do it today. They won't do it today. I won't, won't let them do it today. But back in the day, would come to me at the door of the church and say, thank you, pastor, and hug me. How does it happen? It's 
because the parents are teaching them the word of the Lord. Now you can't do that. Why? Because you don't have it yourself. And here's what I want to say to you. Alright, you want to have a family that's orderly, that's decent, a happy home? It starts with you. And you need to know the Lord. You need to turn from your sin, your self-centeredness, your binging of this and that, and spending your life on yourself. You need to repent of that. And you need to bow before the Lord Jesus, confessing your sin, your self-centered sin, and coming to Him for pardon, not trusting in your good deeds, but trusting in the blood shed on Calvary. That sacrifice that is sufficient. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everyone who trusts in Him. You come to Him. You have your life renovated and changed. And that's where the change in your family starts. It starts with you. Come and bow the knee to this Savior. Receive Him. As many as received Him by genuine faith and repentance. He gave them the authority, the right to be His children. Trained by Him to be godly parents as well. Let's pray that God would do this, that God would have mercy on our country and its misery and woe and turn the people's hearts back to Him again. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you give us your word. We thank you that we can train our children in the discipline, the training and admonition of the Lord because you've given us the word of the Lord. And we do plead that you would use that word, first of all, in our own hearts. Forgive us of our self-centeredness, of our laziness, of our spending our time on ourselves and our own things. And help us to be self-sacrificing giving, loving, putting others before ourselves. Why? Because we have a Savior who gave Himself on the cross of Calvary that we might have life. We plead for the parents at Trinity Baptist Church. Oh God, we long to see every family in this church as happy, as godly, as loving as it is possible to be in this sin-cursed world. With redeemed sinners, but sinners still best of men, still men at best. Doing their best by grace to raise a family that's pleasing in your sight. Blessed to the salvation of the children in this church. Those little ones with their cheerful faces who greet us at the door. The teens as they mature and as they come to ask questions, may their questions be answered. May their souls be satisfied with the Savior Jesus. Oh Lord, every last child of this congregation, young and old, we plead... We plead, O oh God, that you would save them. Nothing is too difficult with you. As we train them, as we teach them, as we admonish them, as we correct them, O oh Lord, bless it. 
Not only that they would know right from wrong and be good citizens of this land, but that they might ultimately become citizens of heaven. And it's your grace alone that can do that work. So bless our teaching. Blessed by your Spirit through your Word, that they might see Jesus and turn to Him in living faith. And we plead these mercies through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.